0: Move around up here, is that okay? Can I go over here <laughs> Well with the live stream you just get stuck right here. It's like I feel like I can move. How y'all doing? I'm okay with the fact that we swapped out choking smoke with blinding fog and rain. I mean, I'm not, but it's better than the smoke. All right, let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much uh, for just your presence here, Lord God. I pray that you'd speak to us by your word, Lord Jesus. I pray that it wouldn't be my words, but it'd be your words, Lord. I pray that hearts would be softened tonight, Lord, that uh, they'd be able to receive the word that you have from them, Lord Jesus. We just just give you praise and we give you glory in your holy name. Amen. For every house is built by someone, but he who built all things is God. Do you guys know what the tallest building in the world is? Burj Khalifa. Khalifa, And where is it? Okay, did you look this up before anybody else? Am I going to be the teacher who's like anybody else? It's like, you put your hand down. (laughs) Can you come up here and write it on the board, please? All right, it's the Burj Khalifa in Dubai in the United Arab Emirates, but do you know how tall it is? No. (laughs) Does anybody know anything else about the Burj Khalifa? No? Do you know what Burj means? Tower. It's cryptic, I know. It's it's 2,717 feet tall. (laughs) That's what I thought when I read it. It's twice as tall as the Empire State Building. I appreciate the energy in which <laughs> wow. I appreciate the energy in which you're accepting these facts. You're like, "Okay, oh, woo, two times. It's amazing." I thought it was interesting. It has 163 floors. 58 elevators with a top speed of 33, 33 feet per second, or 22 miles per hour, in an elevator. It was originally named the Burj Dubai, Dubai Tower, but they ran short on money. Sheikh Khalifa, the ruler of the United Arab Emirates, stepped in with the rest of the money, and that's why they call it the Burj Khalifa. Because wow. it costs $1.5 billion, and somebody's got to pay for it. When you get giraffe money, you just get buildings named after you. Giraffe money, when you're rich enough that you can just afford a giraffe. But do you know this? Who is the architect of the Burj Khalifa? No, no answers? (laughs) (laughs) The architect was an American named Adrian D. Smith. Surprised you haven't heard of him. (laughs) Nobody? But here's the most important fact. It took twenty-two million man hours over six years to complete it. Twenty-two million man hours. This is from an article I was reading earlier today. Critical reception to the Burj Khalifa has been generally positive, but the building has received many awards. However, there were numerous complaints concerning migrant workers from South Asia who were the primary building labor force. um, These centered on low wages and the practice of confiscating passports until duties were complete. Several suicides were reported. So you know who it's named after? You know who the architect was, but those poor builders aren't even named. The building was named after the money man, but it was built with the blood of the unnamed men. This building is really just lots and lots of metal and aluminum and concrete and glass, but without the builders, the building doesn't even exist. It's just a pile of materials. The building is just a visible representation of the skill and the care of the one who created it. Jesus is the builder of our house. By his blood, we have hope, a hope to rejoice in, and a firm rock to stand on. Let's look in Hebrews chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. Hebrews chapter 3. Oh, by the way, that title slide, that was a Burj Khalifa. Do you see that on the title slide? I know when you walked in here, you looked at the slide and you said, What is that amazing building? He said, That looks like Dubai. Anyways, that's the Bruce Cleva. Hebrews chapter 3 verses 1 through 6 says this. Therefore holy brethren partakers of the heavenly calling consider the apostle and high priest of our confession Jesus Christ who was faithful to him who appointed him as Moses also was faithful in all his house for this one has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses inasmuch as much as he who built the house has more honor than the house for every house is built by someone but he who built all things is God and Moses indeed was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which would be spoken afterwards but Christ as the son over his own house whose house we are if we hold fast to the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm to the end my first point is this consider Christ Hebrews 3 1 through 2 says again therefore holy brethren Partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus, who was faithful to him who appointed him as Moses also was faithful in all his, Jesus' house. The author speaking directly to believers, new converts, not to non-believers, although they were certainly listening. This is important because your growth and knowledge doesn't end at conversion, it's only the beginning. So we see the author of Hebrews is basically pleading the case for Christ and his supremacy to people who are already supposed to have dedicated their lives to Christ. So sometimes I think, uh, I mean, I know I know it sometimes when I'm preparing a sermon, I, I think we all kind of do it thinking that uh, th- that our audience already knows about Christ. I mean, we're in America, right? There's a Bible everywhere. Uh, you know, people in the grocery store or our friends, they've already heard about it. So why would I want to tell them about it? Well, the author of Hebrews is sitting here telling a bunch of people who already have heard about Christ more about Jesus Christ. He says, consider Christ using the filter of our knowledge of his authority and superiority and reflecting on the fact that he is our confessed saver, savior, not just an example to consider, the example to consider. It's interesting because the world has um, all sorts. Of, you know, this is the hard thing about what's going on in the media and social media and all these kind of things is that. Is that we now have the ability to redefine what words mean. Cause if you look in, let's say like the 50s or, or, or further back, words had a meaning that everybody knew what the meaning was. When you use that word, it meant something. And then over time, uh, at least since about the 50s until now, uh, we've chosen to take these words and apply them differently. And see, like, think, just take some innocuous word like amazing. It's like, oh my gosh, those tater tots were amazing. <laughs> really? You were amazed by the tater tots? They were that good. A little cheddar cheese sauce on them or something. But that's what we do, right? Oh, it was just such an amazing time at the subway station. It wasn't amazing. Why don't we just be honest about the words? It was a time. <laughs> Seconds, minutes, that's we were there. It was what it was, but we've changed the meaning of words and we've made them something that they're not. So when I say consider Christ, I'm telling you, use the filter with which to consider Christ, the knowledge of the word of God and the fact that you know, he's superior and the fact that you've accepted him, accepted him as your Lord and savior and consider that. Jesus who was faithful to him who appointed him. Jesus came in the flesh to do the work of the father. Let's look at John chapter 6 verse 38. It says, for I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Hebrews chapter 5 verse 7 through 10 who in those days of his flesh, when he had offered up praises and supplications with vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death and was heard because of his godly fear, though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things in which he suffered. And having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Called by God as a high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. That's a lot of stuff going on there. But in the author of Hebrews here in chapter 5 is is reflecting on the fact that this is Jesus Christ. Who God could have saved from death but didn't. And through Christ's suffering we all can have life. That's a pretty big deal. And in chapter 3, the author saying, consider Christ. Consider this fact that you already know and have accepted because you believe Jesus Christ is the Lord and Savior. Consider this. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2 and 3. Look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. The author of Hebrews says, consider Christ, consider what he endured at the hands of sinners Lest you become weary and discouraged in your soul. They know what happened. When the people are sitting there listening to the author of Hebrews. This is in the time period that they know that Jesus happened. You know, I think sometimes it's. We're just so used to this just minute by minute kind of life. Think about this. That when these things were written. Jesus had just been there. This is within the lifetime. Like you want to look back on these scriptures and say, well, I think they might have misunderstood. Or, well, you know, the, 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 um, the uh, not what it's not called fantasy. The, the tall tale of Christ must have grown by then. And so he's enamoring them with this tale of the mighty Christ who once lived. It was alive in their lifetime. If it wasn't true, there was hundreds and hundreds of witnesses that would testify that it wasn't true. The debate isn't whether Christ died and rose again. The debate is whether you're going to believe it or not. It's just true. If it was not true, it would be very easy to disprove. And the fact that we're 2,000 years down the road of this thing with all the just furious enemies that Christ has created along the way, that not one person can offer one bit of fact that shows that it's not true ought to speak something to you. These people are all sitting there listening and they know it's true. It's a perspective. Philippians chapter 2 verses 8 through 9. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death. Who's been obedient to the point of death? Anyone? No one. Not your job? Not even your parents? No? Nobody? All right. Well, Jesus was even unto death on the cross. Therefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name. This is the Jesus we're considering. This is the one we are talking about. No one on earth or in heaven deserves our careful thought, contemplation, meditation, attention, or reflection other than Jesus. You agree with me on that? All right. Jesus came in the flesh to do the work of the Father. Likewise, Moses also did... A work for God. Now, Moses, he's the champion and hero of the faith. He led God's people out of Egypt. He led them through the Red Sea. I mean, talking about another amazing story of someone who served God. The Hebrews are, uh, slaves in the land of Egypt for 400 years. At at that point, you might have just given up. Like, I guess that's just our lot in life. That's just what we do. But here comes Moses with the power of God, bunch of plagues, humbles the Pharaoh himself, the most powerful person on earth, takes all the people out of Egypt, the Red Sea parts, they walk across on dry land, survive in the desert for 40 years, and he walks them all the way up to the edge of the promised land. Yeah, they think of Moses as a hero. He's he's pretty amazing. They all think so. Everybody says it. Numbers 12, verses 7 and some of 8 says, Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. I speak with him face to face. Not a lot of people in the Bible or history that could say they just spoke with God face to face, right? Spoke with God face to face? This is Moses. Moses is a big deal. God says he is faithful in all my house. Moses saved God's people from death, slavery, and the arms of their enemies in Egypt one time. It was important. But Jesus saved us spiritually from death and slavery for all time. Everlasting. A far greater task and more comprehensive than Moses. Forever. Not just for now. Much bigger deal than Moses. And that's the point the author's trying to make. Point number two. Honor the builder not the building. Hebrews 3 3 through 4. For this one, Jesus, had been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, inasmuch as he who built the house has more honor than the house. For every house is built by someone, but he who built all things is God. Now, uh, many uh, Jews in the first century regarded Moses as the greatest person in history, and I think you could imagine why, right? We read the stories. They, they, uh, they, the, the author here wants to help these people understand that as great as they think Moses is, Jesus is greater. Because think of the context of history. Think of the timeline. I mean, they've known about Moses for a long, long time. Their children uh, heard stories from their parents who heard stories from their parents. And Jesus just happened. And he's like, I'm going to remind you. That as awesome as you think Moses is, Jesus is far greater. But but we, we and they, I'm sure uh, humans are humans, right? I mean, uh, when you read through the Bible and you read through the history, um, you can see that humans haven't changed a whole lot. Like the whole time. Like, you could probably see a little bit of Adam and Eve in yourself, in your own decision making. <laughs> like, it's not different. Just because you got social media doesn't make some matter. your challenges are very, you know, much harder. It's like there's one tree in all the garden and that's the one they eat. Does that not sound like yours my decision? Am I the only one who would make a decision like that? Like the one thing I'm not supposed to have, I'm like, why can't I have it? <laughs> But we often focus on the created things instead of the creator. We look at creation, not the who, the, who created it. Um, this may surprise you, and don't judge me, but I spend some time on YouTube watching videos. Yeah, YouTube videos. Yeah, it's uh, like, almost like a social media platform. They play a lot of videos. There's a, lot of them. There's a million on there. And, uh, but what I like to watch these videos that talk about tattooers. Do you guys know what tattooing is? Feeling weird today. (laughs) So, anyways. About these old tattooers. And so I was watching this one about this guy named Tom DeVita. And he was uh, this old school like uh, grandfather of tattooing. One of the originals in America. Back in New York when tattoos were illegal. And you had to like go in some back shop. And, and there was no signs and all these things. And just took it from uh, just from you know sailors and bikers to like where we see it today. A bunch of bearded hipsters walking around with their posting their fresh ink on Instagram. They don't even know that their their whole world was inspired by this guy tom devita they don't even know walking into his shop looking at his art taking pictures on their cell phone posting on social media as if that's not the most disrespectful thing ever somebody made that piece of art and you're like oh cool i'll just take it for free post it on my own instagram did you get you guys ever thought i thought about that before you ever thought about how somebody just spent their time making some art and then you don't buy it you just take a picture of it and no Yeah, you done that, huh? You didn't. You've been down to Pike Place Market. You saw some really cool, some frog made out of rocks and sticks, and you're like, click. Spending time at the park, at the market. You don't even know. You're looking at the creation. You're like, hey, look at this cool thing. Completely disregarding that poor guy sitting there trying to make a living. Yeah, yeah, you do it. You did it. I'm checking your. I'm checking your Facebook when I get home. You better go home and delete those pictures. Got quiet in here really quick. God has created all things. We admire his work. We post it on Instagram, but we ignore his majesty. No filter. Look at this beautiful sunset. And we don't recognize the God who created it. I'm just speaking truth. It's funny because it's true. Colossians chapter 1 verse 16. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. Romans chapter 1 verse 20. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made. Even his eternal power and Godhead so that there are uh, so they are without excuse. This is the interesting verse um, because you could say there's all sorts of arguments against, uh, you know, salvation and and well, what about the people who have never heard? What about this and that? And this verse clearly states that all of creation speaks of his attributes they are understood and made clear as it even as eternal power and godhead so no one is with excuse no one has an excuse for seeing uh, what god has created and not knowing that there is a creator who created it now moses was created by god he is not the house he is only part of it the house is the church the global church the the church God built the house, the global church, and his people. Jesus is the son and the Lord over the house. The amazing Moses was only a servant in God's house, as you and I are, or should be. And a servant is not greater than his master, and you are no Moses. When you read the course of history of the Bible, and you try to match yourself up to somebody in the Bible, don't do it. Because you're just going to make yourself feel bad. (laughs) Because you're no Moses. The Burj Khalifa has, get this, 12 huge machines moving along tracks that are attached to the outside of the building. And 36 window washers board these machines to clean the 24,000 reflective windows. And so I was thinking, that's amazing. So you see the picture of the building; it's just one big, big shiny object. And so I think 24,000 um, reflective windows. But there was another fact I read that there's 26,000 hand-cut pieces of glass that cover the tower. So then what I realized is there's 26,000 hand-cut pieces of glass and 24,000 windows. <laughs> that's a lot. That's a lot of stuff. Do they clean the glass too, or just the windows? They've got to be busy. You may wash windows on the Burj Khalifa, but that doesn't mean that you get credit for building it. Ephesians chapter two, verse eight through 10. For by grace you have been saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You may serve in the house of the Lord, but don't expect that it will bring you glory and praise. You know, I think about it sometimes for me personally, sometimes um, I find myself wanting to get some recognition because I feel like it's going to make me feel better about myself. It happened at work last year. Uh, there was some award, and I just was really thinking that this was my year. I'd get this award, and and I didn't get it. And uh, I felt, man, I just felt so like crushed and uh, uh, and upset. Like, how come they don't see all my hard work? Then there was another award later that wasn't as good as the first one, but it's still pretty cool. And I did win that award, and you know how I felt? I felt bad. I still felt bad. And the reason why is winning an award wasn't going to make me feel good. And so uh, it really uh, was annoying that I did win an award and it didn't make me feel any better. But you can't sit around doing your work and expect that, you know, getting some praise or recognition is going to make you feel better. Because you're not going to get it. You're not going to get it. And if that's what you're waiting for, is to be praised and admired, if your heart is rooted in Christ, it's not going to make you feel good. So stop waiting for it. That's not what you want. As a servant, you should only boast in the Lord and His goodness, and not about yourself. And I'm not talking about, like, don't tell people that cool stuff happened to you. That's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about, what so... When we look at principles of the Bible and we look at things the Bible say, uh, we as people, and you can see it with people in the Bible too, and we're no different, is that you want to dial it into exactly what was written so that you can find your way around it and, a please, and a please your flesh. But I'm following the rule. You didn't say, where does the Bible say that I can't, I don't know, pick something stupid. Where does the Bible say I can't argue on Facebook? But but when you see these principles in the Bible, it's not about getting around it. It's about your heart condition within it. So when he says you should only boast uh, uh, that your salvation is from God, not so that no one can boast. It's not saying that you can't be proud of your kids. It's not saying that you can't be like, guess, guess what awesome thing happened to me? I won an award. And people go, oh man, that's so great. You won an award. That's not what it's talking about. What it's talking about is you boasting about something to, so that you can steal glory glory from God and turns everybody attention onto you. That's what it's talking about. And your heart condition is going to reveal that when the time comes or it should, that's the conviction of the Lord. My third point is this brethren through these troubled times, hold fast, hold fast. The last two verses, Hebrews chapter three, verses five and six. And Moses indeed was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which would be spoken of after. We've been speaking about the testimony of the great things Moses did, haven't we? It's pretty much the legacy of... Uh, the Christian church and the Bible and everything else. We know all about what Moses did. And that's what the author's saying here. Like Moses was a faithful servant and the testimony of those things had been spoken after he was a faithful servant. We all know about it. But verse six, but Christ as the son over his own house, whose house we are, if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of hope firm to the end. But Christ as the Son over his own house, remember said the house that Christ built is the church, whose house we are, if we hold fast, <clears throat> the confidence and the rejoicing of hope firm to the end. Hold fast, stand firm, be confident, rejoice, have hope, because Jesus Christ is your Lord. Amen. Woo! <laughs> I lost you somewhere because that was kind of exciting stuff. Let me say it again. Hold fast. Stand firm. Be confident. Rejoice. Have hope because Jesus Christ is your Lord. Woo. Woo. Even fake enthusiasm gets me happy. (laughs) I don't care if it's fake. I appreciate your enthusiasm. Stay faithful, firm on the foundation of your Christian beliefs. Even if this crazy world has planted itself in shifting sands. The problem when there's no absolute moral standard is it's like being on sand. There's no real footing. There's, there's no solid place to build your house on top of. There's just squishy sand that moves every time you change your mind. And, the, and this world that we live in is so much squishy sand. It constantly is changing. Anytime you try to uh, establish something and start building on it, the whole thing shifts and changes. One big windstorm and the sand dune forms over here. You just can't get away from it. But you need to stand fast on your Christian beliefs that you know through the filter of Jesus Christ, that is word of the Bible. You need to stand firm on these uh, beliefs as a foundation. So as things shift back and forth around you, you're standing strong. It's not rocket surgery. It's not something that, uh, that some pastor just came up with as some witty thing to say. It's all in the Bible. The author of Hebrews is basically preaching a sermon to the people. And I'm just telling you what he was saying. It's all there. We are the global church. We, faith and victory, you and me, all churches everywhere that believe Jesus Christ is the one and only way to heaven. We are the house of the Lord. We should rejoice in that. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 10 and 11. For it was fitting for him, for whom all, um, let me start again. For it was fitting for him, for whom all, for, I keep messing that word up. It was fitting for him for whom are all things and by whom all uh, are all things. Can you guys see it? <laughs> These all's and ours are just tripping me up and bringing many sins of glory. I just messed it up. For it, it was fitting for him for whom all Are all things and by whom are all things in bringing many sons to glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through suffering for both he. Yeah, that's good, right? Are you climbing out the verse, right? That's powerful stuff. That's powerful stuff for both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are all of one. For which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren. Do you understand the impact of that? Because Christ died and took all that weight on him, he sanctifies us as once he considers to be part of his church, his family that he leads. And he's not ashamed to call us brother. Amen. Are you being sanctified? Are you being refined and sharpened by God's word and his presence? Because it's not a one-time thing. You don't just get saved and that's where it ends. What kind of house can you build on that? It's just a piece of concrete. It's your foundation. Great. That's the bottom floor. Where do you go from here? It's not going to keep you warm. It's not shelter. It's the floor. Yep. You're not going to fall through the hole down to hell, but you got to do something with it. It's the foundation. Sanctification is growing to be more like Christ. It's a lifelong process, but it doesn't mean you just get off the path. You just keep going on this journey of trying to become more like Christ by reading his word, by being in his presence, by prayer and supplication. Be about it. Be in the, in the community of his people. Are you being sanctified? Are you being refined? First Peter chapter three, verse 15 But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. For you to give a defense, you have to understand it yourself. Do you know where your hope comes from? Here's the thing is that you will be much more bold about just being a Christian If you knew how to articulate to others what that even means. And I know for me at times in the past, maybe for you, because people are people that you don't share your faith because you don't even know how to articulate it out loud. Like in your head, you're like, I know like Jesus, he died. And then I said the prayer and I feel like he's inside of me. But if somebody were to ask a few questions into it, you'd just be like, ah, I don't really know. How do you give a defense for something that you don't aren't able to understand or articulate? I'm not saying you're not saved. But if you are saved, there's a pretty good resource that you could look in to make sure that you could explain it to somebody else. Always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. We've got the COVID. We've got the politics. We've got, well, we had the smoke. Now we have the rain. Honestly, things are like shaky And and there's these individual things that are shaky, but there's something about this whole season of life that's just shaky on its own. It's palpable. It's weird. So when you have hope and you have joy and you say, hey, I'm going to go to church or I'm going to do this or that. And somebody says, man, can you tell me why you always seem so hopeful all the time? You don't want to be like, ah, oh, man, you know, this thing. I got this video I want you to watch on YouTube, and it'll tell you all about it. You can't do that. Nobody wants to hear the video. No non-believer who knows you and sees hope in you wants to sit down and listen to somebody else's 45-minute sermon. It's not going to help them. They need to hear it from you where your hope comes from. And you don't have to be super articulate. You can stumble through reading it. You can laugh your way through it. It doesn't matter. They need to hear from you who Jesus Christ is. They want to know where your hope comes from. How firm is your foundation in the word and prayer and understanding of the Savior? How can you stand firm and give a defense if you don't have a firm foundation to stand on? Are you stepping off into that shifty sand? Because if you are, you're just going to fall down. Your feet are going to sink in it. We were at the beach this uh, summer, and um, my daughter's friend was doing this. Thing. <laughs> he was doing this thing where he, uh, as the t- as the waves would roll in, he'd wiggle his feet like this until he was like knee deep in that wet sand. <laughs> And I, you know I thought he would get stuck. He never got stuck, you know, but uh then then the younger uh the cousins, the younger cousins tried to do it too and I thought that for sure they'd get stuck and they didn't. The the point I'm trying to make is is that that squishy sand, you can just sink down as far as you want to in it. It's never ending. Yeah. It's so deep you can't dig to the bottom of it. Yeah. And, and if you don't know where your hope comes from, your foundation's going to be like that. Uh, my last, one of my, well, second to the last verse is this: Matthew chapter seven, verses twenty-four through twenty-seven. Jesus said, "Therefore, therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them—that's kind of an important point—and does them, I will be like—I uh, will liken him to a wise man who builds his house on a rock. And the rain descends, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall." For it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house and it fell. And and great was its fall. Even the tallest buildings in the world cannot stand if they're built on sand. They need to be built on a foundation. Psalms chapter 62 verse 6. It's my last verse. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be moved. Can you say that today? He is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense and I shall not be moved. If you don't think you can say that today, you need to dive back into the Bible. You need to spend some time in prayer and you need to get it squared away in your head. You need to figure it out in your spirit. You should be able to say that the Lord is your rock, that the house is built on. And he is your salvation and your defense and you shall not be moved by this crazy world that we live in. Moses had a testimony of being a faithful servant to the Lord. When the story is written about you, what will your testimony be? And if you don't like what that is, like you just popped into your head and you're like, oops, then then fix it. Yeah. That's sanctification. Fix it. Yeah. Go before the throne on your face. Ask for forgiveness from the Lord. Repent. Fix it. Yeah. Yeah. Let your story be written as Moses' story was written. He was just a man. He was just a man. Why don't you uh, close your eyes and bow your heads with me? I don't want to assume that everybody in this room has given their life to Jesus Christ. I don't even want to assume that even if you thought you had, now you realize that maybe you hadn't. You may all be in different places in this place right now, but you've heard the word of the Lord tonight. You've heard heard the testimony of Moses and you've heard who Jesus is and you know that he is the Savior that can save you from your sin and save you from yourself if you would confess that sin to him ask for forgiveness and turn and go the other way and pursue sanctification you know that we've just talked about it so all all heads bowed all eyes closed if if this is the first time and you want to make jesus christ your lord and savior you want to give your life to him today no better time no better place just shoot your hand up and tell me that's you we can pray for you praise god praise god anyone else Now if you feel comfortable coming up and so we could have someone pray for you, I'd love to have you come up so we could pray with you. No? Okay. Then everybody just pray this, pray this with me. Say, Lord Jesus, Lord God, we love you so much. Lord God, please forgive us of our sins. Lord God, uh, we confess them to you. Please forgive us of our sins. Lord God, uh, we, we want to turn away and now we're going to go live a different life, Lord God. We're going to live one for you. Lord Jesus, and we're going to learn about it in your word. Lord God, Lord God, let's pray. Lord Jesus, we love you so much. We just give you glory and praise. Lord, I thank you in this place, Lord God. I just give you glory, Lord Jesus. We love you so much. Cover us with your protection as we leave this place, Lord God, and go through the rest of the week until we see you again. In your holy name, Lord, amen. Amen. See you Sunday, 9 and 11.